we've just got this melting pot at the moment of really, really, really challenging events that are occurring all intrinsically interlinked. And I think it's really one of the things, and we'll probably get onto this in a little bit, it's really pulled into question, I think, for a lot of people, the general security of a global supply chain. And actually, what do people need to do to create greater security from a supply perspective at a local level? Welcome to the Agile Digital Transformation Podcast, where we explore different aspects of digital transformation and digital experience with your host, Tim Butera, Content and Community Manager at Agile Drop. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined today by Wyndham Plumtree, founder and CEO of the digital transformation consultancy FutureArc. They've partnered with some of the world's most renowned organizations, so we're definitely in for a great discussion with Wyndham. And this time we'll be talking about how supply chains are impacted by macro risks, macro events, with one of the most obvious recent examples being the COVID-19 pandemic. So Wyndham, welcome to the show. It's really great having you as our guest today. Anything you'd like to add before we jump to the questions? And just to say a big thank you for having us there. Is it worth me just talking about kind of FutureArc and what we do a little bit further and kind of where we come from? Yeah, sure. We'll go ahead. FutureArc, we've been around probably about five years or so. We're a hybrid innovation consultancy and venture studio. So in short, we advise and build technology for big organizations. So we work with government, third sector, um, private sector as well. And then we also invest in our own platforms and products with, and we've got quite a deep spike in sort of supply chains and digital supply chains. It's not all we do, but it's kind of a big set of our capabilities. And we've actually built our own digital supply chain tool as well called Simple. Awesome. I'm, I'm sure that, that we'll have more opportunities to talk more sure. specifics about these. Yeah, but, but yeah, obviously the supply chains are one of the kind of very important topics ever since the beginning of 2022. But for, for those listeners who maybe don't have an in-depth understanding of like the different tiers of supply chains and all the nitty gritty, can you start off by maybe describing or breaking down these different supply chain tiers? Yeah, no, of course. Um, uh, so look, uh, supply chains, are called supply chains because they're linked in multiple chains um, to get a good or a service from A to B across the globe. And the, each of those links in a chain is a specific tier. So when we talk about tiering in supply chains, what we're really talking about is, and what, where most people frankly focus a lot of their attention is their tier one suppliers. So those that they have a primary contract route or a primary relationship with. So I need services from uh, the look after group. I go and contract with the look after group. They're my tier one supplier. However, in order to provide those services, they will then potentially subcontract with a number of different organizations to pull a good or a service together. Their ability to do that and where they then contract is what is my tier two, but they're tier one. And they're very simply, you just go down and down the chain and you can get down to kind of tier four, tier five, in particular, where you're talking about electronic goods, where you've got raw materials that are going into things like transistors, which are then being manufactured, which are then going onto a PCB boards, which are a specific piece of technology that then is going into an actual TV print. So you've got potentially four or five links in that chain. So it's it's something like how direct something is or how fleshed out the product is, something like that? Yeah, it, frankly, it tends to be contracting routes. So mm -hmm. do I have a contract with a supplier directly? If so, mm -hmm. they're my tier one supplier. If they then have a contract with someone else to provide a component of what I need, then that is a tier two supplier for me, but a tier one for them and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I, I think that this is another thing that we'll probably get into, into a little bit more detail as we kind of discuss the specific impacts and the specific things happening with supply chains right now. But first, uh, we need to define the other 
part uh, of the episode title or topic. So that's uh, macro risks. What exactly yeah. are macro risks and how can businesses kind of incorporate them into their planning and strategizing? Are you asking that question now? It actually makes me think I really should have gone away and researched the definition of what a macro risk is. So I'm going to give you my opinion rather than anything else. So if I'm wrong, I apologize. I say <laughs> micro risks for me are things that are kind of lower risk to an organization. But in particular, when I think about supply chains, I think about localized risk. So where is there a risk that can affect the supply chain at a local level, which may impact a specific supplier or specific groups of suppliers? So for instance, going back to my like transistor getting manufactured, if there is flooding in a specific region within Southeast Asia, and therefore that affects the water quality, for instance, that goes into the machinery, that it creates this kind of micro risk at a local level. Macro risks are things that affect supply chains whole scale, end to end. And we seem to be living in a world where macro risks are apparent all the time. But the a really basic example of this is a global financial crash. That's a macro mm -hmm. risk that affects supply chains end to end. Yeah, and as you just said, we we seem to be kind of going from one huge macro event to yeah. another. I mean, I mean, obviously, the COVID pandemic was one of the key macro risks of the past, let's say, ten years, and and not not only because of what it entailed, but all the other macro events and macro risks that kind of issued from it. Uh, so, so what are these other recent examples that we could mention here of macro events and why are they so significant in the context of our discussion? Let me unpack. There's multiple questions in there. So let me unpack that a little bit. And also with a bit of a kind of a story. So I was recently sitting down with our COO and we were going through some updates we needed to do for our ISO audits. And the slightly terrifying thing was doing a pestle analysis and realizing that we had kind of a, a medium or high risk against every single part of the political, economic, social, technological risk. So uh, the macro risks to businesses at the moment are vast. The very obvious ones, as you said, is more recently what's happened with COVID. Actually, what I found fascinating about COVID is it created, yes, just a giant macro risk, but a macro risk that then moved across the world in different ways at different times, and then also created micro risks at a local level as well in how people dealt with it also then created further micro risks. So for instance, we were relatively well sheltered here in the UK because of the furlough scheme and everything else, which mm. secured a lot of businesses and kept a lot of people in jobs. Lots of other parts of the world that didn't happen. And that and the the kind of decrease in jobs created wider micro risks in their economies, which then impacted supply chains in different ways. So COVID is uh, it's just a fascinating thing that lots of people were predicting would happen at some point and how that would disrupt supply chains and eventually it did, which was terrifying at the time and a lot to be learned from. I think the, the other obvious one that you're seeing at the moment is the war in Ukraine and the impact that that's having in particular on the provision of goods and in particular the kind of provision of goods and fuel. So food, the things that people run their lives on and the impact that that is then creating. That's then creating another macro risk, which is then inflation. So you've just got this melting pot at the moment of really, really, really challenging events that are occurring all intrinsically interlinked and I think it's really one of the things and we'll probably get onto this in a little bit it's really pulled into question I think for a lot of people the general security of a global supply chain and actually what do people need to do to create greater security from a supply perspective at a local level and certainly something that I'm really fascinated to see pan out you're seeing the UK at the moment try and push as much as they can towards hydrogen fuel and greener energy on the basis that actually trying to get energy and electricity out of the North Sea is probably not the best thing that we should be doing for the world, but also actually the security of supply and fuel coming from Europe is also becoming harder and harder and harder. 
but but there's so many layers to everything right because because if if we wanted like a successful transition mm -hmm. to to renewable energies that would mean having right. to alleviate the supply chain issues for shipping raw materials necessary for producing all of this and it's just like like it, as as you also pointed out and as we already talked about how different risks play off each other and also how macro risks transform into micro risks uh, it, it's it's all just uh, kind of very complex and that's even before you get to talking about politics as well <laughs> and the political overlay and how the political landscape like what's happening in the US literally right now it could flip one way or another to how mm. the US supply chain and the US economy kind of functions and its view of how it then restricts supply or demand across the globe, whether it's from a currency perspective or whether it's from actually things that they source. So it is not a boring time to be in supply chain. <laughs> Trying to have the right answer, though, is incredibly complicated. Yeah, it's it's not a boring time to be anywhere on Earth, basically. No, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> uh, I like it to be a little, a little bit less stressful, but yeah, I agree. It's it's always this balance, right? Either it's it's stressful but exciting, or it's kind of peaceful but boring. So so there's always this trade-off. Obviously, yeah. obviously, you would want only the best aspects of of all the extremes, but that that's just wishful thinking. Correct. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask, Wyndham, we we talked initially about different tiers of supply chains, yeah. and and I was wondering if like what's happening now if the impact is the same across all of the different supply chain tiers or, or if there are some major discrepancies like with regards to maybe i don't know tier one as opposed to tier five six and onwards it's a really good question and actually it, the challenge in answering that question with a no it's totally varied across all of them is down to actually where suppliers it within a tiered supply chain. So more often than not, you'll have a supplier to, in particular, let's say if it's a global supplier, a global supplier will have access and direct customers. So there'll be a tier one, there'll be subcontracting to deliver components of a service or a goods. So there'll be tier two. They then may be manufacturing other things that are at a tier three level that feed into a tier two, into another tier. In. So a single organization that's providing something sits in multiple different points within a supply chain all at the same time. And so it's very, very difficult to actually have a very binary question as to, yeah, actually, okay, so in tier one, we're seeing these impacts and tier two, we're seeing these impacts and tier three, we're seeing these impacts, mainly because supplies sit across all of the tiers. So it's very, very difficult, actually, you end up really focusing on the classification of an issue or a risk within a supply chain and then trying to, and this is in particular, again, leading us nicely kind of through our discussion, it, this is where some of the real innovation and change at the moment is happening with technology is actually people are realizing they can't just sit there and look at their tier one suppliers and go, you're going to shelter me from all of these risks and you're going to sort, sort all of these out. And I think fundamentally the reason why that has really changed, except in, and I don't mean high security, but except in industries where there is a greater, there's not a breadth, basically there's not a breadth of suppliers that provide the good or the service that is required by that organization. I think the thing that has happened is that what COVID did and with the level of force majeure that went on, where people just pointed at a very specific clause in every single contract and went, this is a world-changing event. All of my terms of service have to be changed in accordance with that. I think what that created is a real breakout across basically every procurement and supply chain professional going, okay, so I can no longer rely on my tier one sheltering me from the risk in multiple parts of the supply chain. Because if a tier four goes, I can't do this because of force majeure. The tier three will do the same. The tier two will do the same. And the tier one will do the same. So actually, 
what I think procurement and supply chain professionals have always wanted to try and manage risk and value across multiple tiers within the supply chain. But it's been a real value add rather than a necessity because ultimately you can contractually back the risk onto a tier one supplier. Um, however, now, because you can't always do that, and that's become very apparent, probably for the first time, I reckon, since maybe the 80s, people are scrabbling now to really understand all of the risk at every single level within their supply chain. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, as you said, it's definitely not a uniform, a uniform thing, and okay. and definitely what I was just about to get to, definitely digitalization is playing an important role here. Technology innovation. So, so can we talk a little bit more about this? So, so how companies are using tech innovation and and digital transformation to kind of address these risks and these issues with the supply chains. It's a really interesting question because I think. Procurement and supply chain have been talking about the digitalization. I also hate that word because it's just a complicated word to say. <laughs> the supply chain's decades, like certainly since I started my career. Actually, what's been really interesting, and what was certainly in particular when we started building Simple, what we really thought is that technological innovation in supply chains was just going to go through the roof on the back of COVID. And it's really complicated technology to build. And I think the thing that you're starting to potentially see, and I was at a procurement tech event recently, is that there's a lot of people talking about how on the back of the financial crash, basically marketing and advertising type technology on the back of social media changes just went through the roof. The level of innovation that was seen was giant. And between 2012 and 2015, you saw some incredible growth in some incredible companies. Lots of people are talking about now how we're hit, kind of hitting Supply chains are the topic fundamentally at the moment. They're everywhere. And the concern with them, it goes from everything from a consumer level about how much I went and bought a tuna and cucumber sandwich for lunch yesterday and it cost £4.85. I'm like, that's bonkers. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think it's affecting everyone. The level of innovation I think you're going to see between 2022 and 2025 in supply chain technology is just going to be vast. Um, and maybe we can go into a little bit, a bit of specifics as why it's complicated and everything else. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in why, and I'm also interested if you have any expectations or or any, you know, experience already of what kind of breakthrough innovations we're most likely to see, you know, if you have any examples of maybe a client of yours that that you've helped develop a solution for or something like that, it would be interesting to get to know more. Yeah, I, I, um, I think the challenge a lot with kind of supply chain technology is supply chain in its purest sense is a workflow. And therefore, a lot of the previous enterprise technology has been built around either digitally enabling workflow, i.e. the procurement process and ordering and every and purchasing and everything else. So going through steps A, B, C, D, E and providing technology that digitally enables that in its truest sense. And then you get that the same across then supply chains where people are like, okay, so what we need to do is we need to digitally enable the tier one interaction into the tier two, into the tier three. And for instance, provide technology that automate customs payments, for instance, and everything else. So what you've really seen, certainly since kind of late 1990s, is after the first sort of 20, 30 years of procurement technology has been actually just about digitally enabling workflow, helping people to do A to B to C far more effective. I think what you're seeing now, and which is the real change and some organizations really stumbling into this in quite a hard way, is, and for instance, I was looking at some stuff from for Palantir recently, which is kind of doing a lot of this, which is actually supply chains are going to be all about data you're going to end up with just a very intrinsic amount of data that you can harvest and consolidate um 
and to get value out of that data you're going to need a load of different visualization at the top and that can be all sorts of different software products doing very different things and in between you'll see this level of automation and intelligence that have helped to create really truly intelligent not only understanding of your supply chain but also how you act in things accordingly and everything else so i think the thing that's fundamentally changing at the moment is people actually now are starting to get that and develop that and actually see some real use cases and how that works so that kind of data visualization and automation in between, I think is going to be the backbone for any of the procurement technology. And rather than, and you'll see people who do the stack and you'll see people who do layers and you'll see people who do components at each level. I think it's a, re yeah, it's a really exciting place to be. You, you know, what's really interesting to me about, about your, your answer here for most up until now, for every key resource, you needed supply chains, you know, to kind of effectively distribute them everywhere they needed. But data is unique in that it's both a crucial resource for any business, any kind of endeavor in the digital realm nowadays. And you don't really need supply chains to kind of distribute data to the places where it's needed. So in this, it's in this unique position where it's actually able to kind of kind of transform the supply chain yeah. kind of industry or the field without having a negative impact on it. Because, you know, obviously if if in any other, if, if there was a physical endeavor that was this huge as the kind of data transformation, it would yeah. be impossible without super streamlined supply chains. So it would be kind of paradoxical. Yeah. And, it, and frankly, one of the biggest threats that we um, we kind of haven't really talked about climate, but everyone's talking about climate and supply chains at the moment, in particular because of the level of scope three emissions. So for those that aren't all over climate at the moment, you have different scopes of emissions. Scope three is all about supply chains and the provision of goods and services across the globe and the emissions that those create. I genuinely believe that move to the kind of data visualization and intelligence on the front end is the only real way that we're going to actually optimize how scope three emissions occur through a supply chain. Like, uh, and this is some of the stuff that we've been doing. And um, we've got kind of a research project. I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to actually say about anything about it yet because it hasn't come mm -hmm. out. But we we're really looking with simple at actually how can we help drive just a different type of decision making from a buyer perspective and automate that by going actually do you want to deliver a price-based outcome or do you want to deliver an environmental-based outcome because of the intelligence and the data we have about the supply chain we can actually go you can reduce we can intrinsically map you can reduce co2 in your supply chain by this much by giving it to this local supplier there will be an impact to that there will be an increased cost or whatever it may be but that's where i think technology from a supply chain perspective will be going certainly in the future once people stop worrying about risk, which is what everyone is talking about at the moment. One final thing that I wanted to touch upon, because you, you mentioned uh, previously that in this context, things have mostly been, been kind of run uh, in following the waterfall method. And I'm, I'm wondering if like all the changes that we're seeing and all the new technologies and all the disruptions are making agile methodologies more prominent also in this context or, or what's the situation here? Yes, but there's a balance. Mm -hmm. I love Agile. It's great for iterating and delivering things really quickly. You need a milestone at the end of it to deliver to. Otherwise, you just intrinsically keep on going. And whether that, so you, uh, the hybrid between waterfall and Agile from a delivery perspective, I think is, is really critical. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that is exciting is that if you create that level of data enablement that people can build on top of, um, and there's some really fascinating stuff going on in government around 
the deployment of the open contract data standard, which creates interoperability between systems, which you can then build systems on top of. I think it gives a really exciting opportunity to actually how you can transform supply chains, how you can create greater local value, how you can de-risk your supply chains, how you can reduce carbon in your supply chain. Um, but I think we're really only at the start of that. So there's definitely a lot more exciting things to come and then we'll, we'll just have to live through them to kind of see what's in store for us. Correct. Well, Wyndham, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. I definitely learned a lot of new things uh, and, and kind of clarified a lot of the things that I wasn't super certain about. Uh, just before we wrap up our discussion, if listeners would like to reach out to you, maybe learn more about you, learn more about Future Arc, where would you find yeah. it to? Yeah, just we can connect my email and notes and we'll put in the notes for the recording and we can put them there. Otherwise, you can kind of head to our website. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll include all of those in the show notes. And yeah, Wyndham, thanks again and have a great day. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Well, to our listeners, that's all for this episode. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out our other episodes, you can find all of them at agiledrop.com slash podcast, as well as on all the most popular podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues.